Welcome to Constructed Curiosity, a podcast that aims to expand your horizons and promote personal growth by exploring various topics and having conversations with extraordinary people. I'm your host, Casey Sprague. Thank you for joining me, and let's start the show. Welcome into Constructive Curiosity. Thank you for joining me today. I'm very excited about this episode. It's with Dr. Waldell Johnson. This man had a major impact on my college experience and really gave me some life lessons that I've carried with me to this day and will continue to forever. And Dr. Johnson is just such an interesting guy. So he grew up in the height of the civil rights movement, which he's going to talk about. And he grew up in a very pivotal place and just somebody who's dedicated so much of his life to helping others. I know you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy recording it. So make sure you check out Constructive Curiosity on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, any of your other major podcasting programs, and be sure to like and subscribe on Facebook. Thank you. Enjoy the show. So I'm joined today by Dr. Wardell Johnson. So this was a man who had a big impact on my life. This is actually the guy that convinced me to come to Eastern Kentucky University after my third campus visit. I didn't have good feelings about the University of Louisville for various reasons. I didn't have great feelings about Tennessee. I was skeptical about Eastern at first, but this gentleman right here convinced me it was a school for me and definitely have no regrets. I'm very honored to actually have him on my podcast. So, Dr. Johnson, if you just want to take over, tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then we'll get started. Hopefully, where you started at in early life. I I grew up in uh, Greenwood, Mississippi, and... uh, a lot, not a lot, but some of my family is still there. But the the interesting thing about uh, Greenwood during that period, uh, because I graduated from high school in 1968, that was the height of the civil rights movement. So there was a lot going on in Greenwood. You had the civil rights workers there, and uh, my uncle was heavily involved. My mother was heavily involved, and my uncle had a he was the minister of our church, and he encouraged all of us to vote when we could. And he worked quite a bit with Dr. King. Matter of fact, Dr. King came to our church a couple of times and uh, I had an opportunity. We lived directly behind the church, my, my mother and all of us. And we would take food over to the church uh, when they would, would come into town. So I didn't actually, he wasn't this icon then as he is now but he was very well respected. And we had an opportunity to do a lot of different things because so many people were coming to Greenwood uh, for different reasons, particularly relating to the civil rights movement. And uh, uh, I remember when I was, I think I was 16, Stokely Carmichael came to Greenwood and that was the first time the term black power was used. And it was in that in that uh, park, city park. And I remember it vividly because I was 16 and I was there with my uncle who was 16. And uh, it was it was really interesting. When you look back on it now, it wasn't a big deal, but it, it's a big deal now because that's a part of the civil rights history. Yeah, that's just but that's I graduated from high school. I'm sorry. That's, that's amazing. You're a part of something like that. It happened like right in your backyard. Oh yeah, it, it it really is, and it, it it stuck with me. And the thing that that was so good about it is such a, a historical period of time that I share all of this with my students uh, at uh, 
uh, when, I, when I started working at EKU because they need to know some of that history and they need to know that history from, some, from someone that lived it. So it, it was always in the back of my mind, but it really never did resonate in terms of how I could use it. Uh, I graduated from high school in 68 and I went to uh, Knoxville College. And one of the reasons why is because uh, during that time, most black kids could not go to predominantly white institutions, even state institutions. So I went to Knoxville College and I, I uh, uh, it was only about 90 miles from my hometown. And uh, I, I eventually graduated uh, and, and it was good, but uh, I ended up going to, uh, well, I'm sorry, it was Mary Holmes Junior College. That's what it was a junior college. And then when I left the junior college, I went to uh, uh, Knoxville College, which was in Tennessee, which is in Tennessee. And it, it was an HBCU. Uh, so, and that's because black kids couldn't go to a predominantly white institution. So the only choices that we had, for the most part, were HBCUs. But I got a great education there. It was a small institution, uh, about a thousand students. And that's probably what I needed because I was so wild during those days that uh, I needed somebody to kind of settle me down. And, and, and they did. You know, there were people that took you under their wings. And I actually went to uh, Knoxville College on a uh, choir scholarship. Now, I couldn't sing, but I could blend in really well. So that was that was great too. So, uh, but it was it was a beautiful thing. And then after I graduated from uh, Knoxville, I was working for Knoxville uh, in the uh, admissions office, not the admissions office, the uh, placement office. Uh, and I, we got a phone call one day, and uh, the guy I answered the phone. And the guy said. We are Allstate Insurance Company, and we're looking to and we're looking to hire some employees. Do you know anybody that, that's interested? And I said, Yes, I am. We set up an interview. I went to the interview and got the job. Oh, that's awesome. And I was with Allstate for 20 years, and got transferred from uh, uh, Knoxville to Nashville, where the regional office was. And then I got a big promotion, and they transferred me and my family to uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And there, I, you know, managed the claim office uh, for Allstate. It was, a, I think, about a $30 million budget when you look at everything. But uh, I had grown into it, so I knew what to expect. The other thing is that I enjoyed Allstate, but when, when I first moved, I only stayed here two years with Allstate. I just got the, I, I just did not like it. Uh, the, the people were great, but it it just didn't feel like I was getting back to uh, my community, particularly with people that look like me. So I decided to leave and I left and uh, started uh, looking at different things, what opportunities that I wanted to uh, pursue. And uh, I ended up, let me see, when I left, I ended up going with the Division of Parks and Rec, stayed with them for a couple of years. Then I decided to go work on my master's. And I worked on my master's at EKU in sport management. That's where I met the most important piece of my journey, 
who was my department chair, Lonnie Davis. And Dr. Davis, this is when I was going through the master's program. Dr. Davis noticed me one day and he said, uh, have you ever thought about going to uh, get your PhD? I said, no, not really. He said, okay, he just said, he gave me a couple of minutes. He said, I think you're a nice young man. I think you've got a lot to, uh, to give back. Dr. Davis is a white guy uh, born and raised in Eastern Kentucky. But that opened my eyes. The very next year, I applied for uh, the PhD program at UK. He got accepted, but not without a fight. And I, I got accepted, but I was in my 30s by then. So, But I, I went through the program, and uh, I defended. The day that I defended, uh, that afternoon, Dr. Davis called me and asked me, now come work for me. That's how I got the EKU teaching. And I tell students all the time, many times people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And that's why it's so important to be uh, uh, personable, showcase your talents, and somebody will let you know that there's some other, there's some other things out there for you. So, uh, and, and that's, that's one of the things that I try to, to do. There are a lot of students that you run into that just don't know where they are supposed to be. And you have to let them know that that's normal. Uh, because I didn't know what I really wanted to do until Dr. Davis said something to me. And uh, I still talk with Dr. Davis. He's retired now. He's living down in Florida. Uh, but a great guy, great guy. And uh, I will always remember him and will always tell people the impact that he had on my life. So we back to the next one. It's funny how you, know, you hear that, especially at a young age. I remember, you know, I can't take a remember if it was you talking about, but I bet it was. You know, it's all about connections that you have with people that can really open mm -hmm. a bunch of doors with you or open a bunch of doors for you. And I've seen that be evident, you know, especially when I've been in leadership positions, getting to work with, you know, those young shining stars, and you can really help them along the way. Yeah. And you have to help guide them. And that, that's probably something that all of us need to do better at. Uh, there's just been so many things that I share with my students, some of the experiences that I've come across, that let them know that they can make a difference too. And when I started teaching at EKU, one of the things I would always do is to, to uh, try and get to know students a little bit better, uh, in a professional way now, uh, but get to get to know them a little bit better so you can help them. And, you know, through my years, I've had so many different experiences. We had one young man that was, uh, he wasn't a student of ours. He wasn't in my department. But somehow we met. And I don't know if it was just the way it happened, or, but we met. And I lived on campus for about uh, three years when I, uh, my wife and I separated. And I lived on campus about three or four years. So I saw a lot of the students. Uh, but this one young man kind of attached himself to me. And after I got to know him a little bit better, he had some major, major issues in how he grew up and some of the things that happened to him. So I just tried to help him. And I could tell he was depressed. He's smart. He's, he's an artist. He was an artist. Uh, and one day I said, have you ever talked to somebody, a uh, mental health counselor or something? He said, no. I said, would you like to? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to call the uh, counseling office and make an appointment. 
and I will take you over there. And he said, okay. So I really did get to know him quite well. And I was able to help him. He did graduate, had a little, had a little girlfriend. He, he moved to Columbus after he graduated. And uh, the, the interesting thing that he never could quite get it together. And I got a call from his girlfriend about maybe three years later where he had committed suicide. And that, that hurt. That let me know right there, we have to do what we have to do to protect our students, to protect our children. And, uh, and, and I tell kids all the time, especially young men, we don't, we don't talk to each other. Yeah. We don't talk to each other. And you see uh, young ladies over on the corner and, and they're just doing this. They're letting that stuff, <laughs> they can take it off of their shoulders and put it on somebody else. But that's how you grow up because all of us grew up the same way in terms of, you know, especially guys. We grew up the same way in terms of having lack of confidence in our abilities. And somebody will come along like Lonnie Davis and Lonnie will just tell you, you can do anything you want. You, somebody's got to push you toward that direction. And he certainly did that with me. Yeah, it's, it's just sad. I mean, mental health is such a, a big issue. It's very prevalent in men. And, you know, it's like you talked about, we're brought up to you don't show emotion. You don't, you know, put yourself out there. You keep your cards close to your chest. But that's when you see a lot of problems. I noticed that with people that work for me, you see the ones with the most major issues and mm -hmm. some under cause. So, you know, people don't act right. bad for a reason. They don't misbehave or, you know, some people want to fight authority, most don't, but there's usually an underlying cause. Right. And you have to let somebody pull that out of you because you've been taught as young men, especially that you handle your own business. But all of the things that I have gone through, you have gone through, and the kids coming behind you will go through the same thing. And it's just one of those things where we have to be out there to recognize that somebody needs help. Now, that story that I just told you about the young man, uh, the basketball coach at EKU, the one that's there now, he would bring families and students that he, would, he would, was, was recruiting. He would bring them by my office and let me sit down and talk with them. And the first time I did that, he sat in on the meetings. And uh, the, the, the young man signed the very next day. And he came to my office one day, the, uh, the coach did. He said, look, every time I'm uh, recruiting someone, I'm going to bring them in here to you to let you talk with them, tell them that they've always got someone that will listen. And all of us have a responsibility to make sure we can guide, guide these uh, students in the right direction. And that's really all they need most of the time. Uh, I had another situation where a young man uh, he played football and he got a concussion. Nobody recognized the concussion. And I did not know him. He was not one of our students, but he did. Uh, he was in our building a lot because we were in the same building as the football office. And I saw him walking down the hall one day. He just had this look on his face. And I said, man, what's, what's going on? He just started crying. I said, well, I tell you what, come on into my office and let's sit down and chat for a minute. And he told me what was going on. He said, I don't know what is happening to me. He said, I think about suicide. I drink a lot. I'm smoking a lot of weed. And uh, 
it was just it was it was bad. And he had a major. He was a physics major. A physics major with almost a straight A average. And he just started losing touch. I said, well, have you talked with your parents? He said, no, I don't want to worry my parents. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Do you mind if I get your mother on the speakerphone? And I'll let her know that you're here with me and that you want to talk with her. But you got to promise me that you will tell her what's going on with you. And I left the room and I said, you let me know when I can come back in. And he did. His mother uh, arranged to have uh, him go see a uh, uh, doctor. She asked me if I would go along with them, and I said yes. And that's how you know that when a mother trusts you uh, because you have helped her son or her, her daughter, that's a, that says a lot. Oh, yeah, but is. Uh, he is okay now. Uh, and it's, there, there are a lot of tales to this story because so many things just happened. He met me, and then a couple of, uh, probably a couple of months later, we had a guest speaker on campus that was a was a uh, uh, guy that helped students get back on track after they, uh, you know, have these uh, mental health issues. And this guy, I sent him down to this young man, and they helped him get back on track. He got back on track. He started getting better and better and better. And uh, he ended up coming back, getting into our master's program and graduated and graduated. And all three of uh, faculty members, uh, me and the two other faculty members that were there, we all rallied around him and helped him get back to where he was, where he needed to be. So that's one of the most touching things that I can ever say those two stories that I gave you. And you talk about, you know, the impact you have on different students, and I don't want to be selfish and go too much about me here, but the right before I, I came want to, to know East, because sometimes you never know how you're helping a student unless they tell you or you see the changes. Yeah, so I remember um, about a week, my dad had convinced me, he's an EKU grad, and he convinced me, to, hey, just go take a look at Eastern. I'm like, I don't want to go to Eastern. I have no desire to go to EKU. It's not on my list, I'm just, but fine, I'll go. And about a week before that visit, went to UofL and, you know, met with their sports management department. I don't remember the guy's name. I wouldn't drop it if I did because that'd be rude. But had a meeting with him, and he's sitting there, has his lunch out on his desk. We're looking at his computer. This is, you know, myself and my parents are both there. We've taken time out of our day to drive to UofL about an hour and 30-minute drive. And he's barely paying attention to us. And we just went to Tennessee, which was very impressive, but it, too many other concerns I didn't want to go to Tennessee for. You know, very impressive mm -hmm. that patient took about 20% of the time, talked to us. And this guy, like, we're like, do you have any pamphlets on your program? I don't have those available right now. Well, do you have any information to give us? Like, don't you need, and my mom made the comment, don't you need students? And eh, we really don't need students right now. We're, we have, we're at our maximum. And this was the school I wanted to go to. I was like, L is my school. This is where I'm going to go. And after talking to this guy, and it was a miserable day on campus, if you've seen UofL's campus, it's in the middle of downtown, it's rainy, and you're going to get wet if it rains. It's just not an easy place to go. And I was like, well, crap, now I don't know what my plans are. My dad's like, well, we still have the one at Eastern. And I was like, well, I, I don't know. I was going to rethink my life, basically. You know, an 18-year-old kid has no idea what mm -hmm. he's doing. But, you know, I think this is the, the sky is falling. This is the school I wanted to go to. 
And then coming into the Moberly building, you know, the, I felt welcomed as soon as I walked into your office. I felt like I mattered. Uh -huh. you know, very much, I wasn't an inconvenience or I wasn't part of a cognitive machine like it felt in Tennessee. It was a personal connection. And that meant something yeah. to me. You talk, I mean, talk to me, you answer my questions, you answer my dad's questions, you, you know, you showed us all the new stuff in the building. And so it's things like that, the personal touch, like you told them those stories, that's what makes a difference in people's lives. A name on a, you know, institution on a piece of paper isn't what matters, isn't what makes your college experience. Right. So that's what mattered to me. And that's what I have a lot of them. Um, a lot of junior leaders that work for me at different times where their kids are older than my kids. And like, oh, they're going to have half their college done by the time they graduate high school. And I kept saying, well, you're robbing them of what college is. College is a life experience. It's not about the piece of paper. It's about what you learn. And some of my favorite lessons is like, grow up. Exactly. Yes. You have to grow up and learn who you are. And I was telling my oldest daughter, she was asking, well, who are you talking to? I'm like, this is Dr. Johnson. You heard her when we talked on the phone about a month ago, and she was asking more questions about you. Well, what classes did he teach? And I'm like, well, he taught lots of my sports management classes. But more than that, he taught me life lessons. And it's things that you've heard before. Mm -hmm. and she's like, well, like, what? Well, you know, what if a frog had a glass butt? You know, you can't worry about things. It, just, it is what it is. You can't think about every what if. And that's one I got from you. And the other one that I quote a lot, you know, it's hard to, no one's going to be able to tell what I'm talking about, but something's really far on the left, something's really far on the right, and most things right here in the middle. And it's those lessons that mm -hmm. you can take with you, and they do matter. They ground you. So those are some of the things I'm grateful that you taught me. Yeah. Well, I did it for 21 years, and uh, I've, I retired July 1. The one thing that I've missed more than anything are students like you, or students, period where you can change their lives just by reaching out to them to let them know that you're there for them. And uh, I don't miss all of the, the stuff that was going on in terms of the administration and the changes and all of those things. I don't miss that because that's a piece of it. But one thing I can always, I can always uh, 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 go back and uh, think about the uh, lives that I have made, made a difference in. And that's, that's really the key. Uh, they have asked me to come back and teach another class uh, just for the spring semester because when you retire, you can only make so much money. And uh, I told them yes, because that's the piece that I missed. That's the piece that I missed. And uh, it, it, it's so far, retirement has been okay, but I'm bored. <laughs> bored. <laughs> so, but I still go over. Huh? So those are going to be some lucky students. Yeah, I still work with a volunteer with a group uh, they call the uh, the uh, they call it Siege, which is a center for uh, something with young men and young women, uh, be white, black, Asian, whatever. They're all invited to attend some of our sessions. And I go and I do some of the things that I'm doing right now is to give them life lessons, let them know. There's somebody that's out there that would help them get from point A to point B. And they started off with about, we kind of keep them separated. We have the, the men on one side and the women on the other side. And then we get back together as a group. And it's amazing some of the questions some of these students ask that they should know that they don't. And we can't assume that they know. But it has grown into... I think the last function I went to, it was about maybe 100 students in there. 
100 students. And we started off with five or six. Wow. So, that's, that's and that's, that's how you give back. Yeah, that's how you give back. Uh, the surprising thing, so I did a little bit of work when I was in the Army. I taught a post-bachelor's level course, you know, the basic officer leadership. It was all almost graduates in there. Mm -hmm. And that really opened my eyes to realize, because, you know, when you get your bachelor's degree, you think, okay, I got this. I'm smart. You know, I can do all these things. That opened my eyes to realize how, not little, I guess, the right way, but you only have the beginning amounts of knowledge mm -hmm. in a bachelor's degree. So, out of curiosity, what are the major differences you see between a bachelor level student and a master's level student? The what? Uh, the differences between bachelor's level students and master's level students. Once they get to graduate school, it's just a matter of somebody again taking them under their wings. But they are pretty much, they've already gotten a head start because they know this is what they want to do. So, it's not as difficult. But many of the students that came into our master's program, a lot of them came from our undergraduate program. And they knew that me and the other two professors in that department will help make sure that we get them through. And they knew that. And that's how the that's why the program grew so well and so quickly. When I first got to EKU, there was not a it was a we were in the Department of Health, Physical Education and Recreation. And we had a uh, sport management track, but it wasn't called sport management. We just had a few courses. And when I got there, the chair of the department asked me to develop a sport management program. And he wanted to have a full major. Because the major when I got there was a, a bachelor's of science in physical education. Two other people in that office knew much more about getting a program accredited and or started and or approved by the state, I didn't have a clue. And if it hadn't been for them, it never would have gotten done. Now, I knew how to set up the curriculum, but I didn't know how to get everything approved. We got the program approved. I came there in 2003. We got it approved in 1990. And it's a full Bachelor's of Science uh, uh, degree in sport management. And now we have a master's program that is thriving and we also have a 100 percent online program that's thriving so we have a probably 200 majors if not more so it it you know nurturing does a lot and i think they felt that with the three sport management professors more than anybody the students felt it and if we had a situation where a young lady was having some issues and i didn't feel comfortable talking with her I will take her to the only female uh, professor that we had. And she was just as caring and nurturing as I was. So we, we, it, was, it was a group of us that just blended. We knew what to do. And we certainly knew what not to do. Huh? So the other professor, she may be a future guest, but she made a big impact on me as well. Oh, yeah. She made a big impact on I me. Mean, I kind of took my lead from her a little bit, and uh, uh, we worked together as a team. And our focus were the students that, that came into our midst. And there's another professor there who came after I did. Uh, he fell into the same uh, uh, category with us. Our focus is to help students get from point A to point B. 
Now, we're not mentioning names on here, right? No, you can if you'd like to, yeah. Dr. Cormier, did you have him in class? I did not. I don't remember yeah. which classes he taught. I don't remember. Well, we changed it around a lot because he didn't come there until a number of years. What year did you graduate? I graduated in 11. Uh, he was he he prob probably had not gotten there yet, okay. but he he followed the lead that uh, the the others of us had set, and that's what made it so successful. And see, when you do things for students, and they go out and tell their friends, well, if you need to talk to somebody, go talk to Dr. Johnson or Dr. Cormier or whomever, and uh, the word got around that we will help you get from point. So we just started getting kids off from all over the place. So it was good. It was it was really good. And you got to make sure that kids feel the sincerity of what you're trying to help them do. And if you do that, the word to get out. Hey, so we, we had all these. Huh? Yeah, there's a lot of professors that I remember having that it, they weren't very, not in sports management per se, but in mm -hmm. my undergrad and my master's classes, where it was very impersonal, it was very business-like, you, you know, right. you did what you had to do and it was transactional. You do the work, you get the grade, and you move on. You're not making meaningful mm -hmm. connections. Well, the, the key is to connect with students. If you connect with them in the most appropriate way, then you'll see the results and they'll start passing it on they will pass your name on to other students who may be struggling. And, and that's the beauty of what our program, you know, our program had people that really care, really care. So a couple of questions for you here. These are more random, yeah. just a little bit off the wall. So where are you going to be in the next five years? What do you want to, what do, you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? Uh, I'll be so broke because my granddaughter is getting ready to go to college in two years. I know I'll be broke, but I will still volunteer to work with students. Just like that uh, siege group I was telling you about, I will still yep. do that. I will go to high schools or middle schools and do guest speaking spots and talk about a particular topic. What are your favorite topics to speak on? You, know, you get called in as a guest speaker, what are your favorite topics? Life skills. Life skills. And it really depends on. Uh, what school you go to and what some of the needs are. You find out if, let's say if somebody called me from one of the local high schools and they asked me if I will uh, come over as a guest speaker. Well, my first question is, what are some of your students need? What information do you want me to cover and or discuss? And uh, that would be a start right there. And it also depends on the grade. You don't want to go to fast for students, you know, you talk with a seventh grader uh, uh, much easier than you talk with a uh, junior or senior in high school because their needs are different. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Well, if you had to pick one topic that you love to talk about, what is it? Fatherhood. Mm. And the reason being, I didn't grow up with my father, but I see how important that role is to be a and, and motherhood is is, 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 is is the same too, but because I didn't grow up with my father, I uh, 
that was always a part of me that was missing. And that was this, I've been, I go to, to, to this gym uh, in Richmond, and I see this father as his son in there. His son is probably nine, maybe 10 years old. And uh, when I see them working out together, it just warms my heart. And, and one day, one day, he called me looking at him. And I just introduced myself and told him who I was. And I said, the reason I look at you and your son is because I didn't grow up with my father. And that is something I would always miss. And I said, your son is going to always cherish these moments that you're spending with him in the gym. And it, it's just one of those things where, you know, you just have to uh, let people know what you're feeling. And I, I think, too, that's one of the, of the different things about me. I don't, I don't mind opening up and speaking to someone that I don't know. Yeah, no, it seems like it's perfectly in your personality. You're very open. Yeah, it really is. Very welcome. So even though you're going to be broke from your grandchild going to school, if you could travel somewhere you've never been, where would it be? I can't what? If you could travel anywhere that you've never been before, where would you go? All of my memories are. And I can look back. Uh, you know, uh, interesting story. I, I was eight years, eight years old when my grandfather passed. And nobody could find his, uh, his uh, uh, the site where he was buried. And I vividly remember where he was buried. And I went home one once, and I went straight to it. Oh, wow. And I had not been to that grave since uh, I was eight years old. So people can have such an important impact on your life in certain situations. You just remember certain things. Yeah, but most crazy. of the people now are no longer there. Uh, when I was there, they passed away. But uh, but if I had to go somewhere outside of uh, uh, my hometown, I don't know where I would go. I really don't. Well, maybe Probably Vegas. So last and I don't even gamble, and I don't know why I said Vegas, but I don't even gamble. But it's it, it's such a everybody's happy. Well, they appear to be. Yeah, they appear to be either that or inebriated. Yeah, so I've only seen one place where everybody's happy, and that was a Jimmy Buffett concert, and that's for a totally different reason. <laughs> What's the next question? So the last question I got for you, it's a little bit deeper, make you think a little bit, but I know you're going to have a great answer to it. So there's different points in your life that are pivotal points for all of us, you know. And 14, I think, is one of those ages. 14 is a big turning point for a lot of people because you're right at the edge of, you know, going from either middle school to high school or junior high to high school. And it's a point where, you know, major life changes start to roll. So if you could go back and talk to your 14-year-old self, what would you say? Get a grip. You, would, <laughs> would you believe this? I was in the eighth grade. I'll never forget it. I failed the eighth grade. And I failed the eighth grade because all of my friends had their fathers in their lives, and I didn't. And I never forgot that. But I did graduate. And uh, as, as it turns out, my younger sister, both of us got uh, skipped from uh, – 
kindergarten to no, no from uh, we got skipped from uh, first grade to the second grade. So I always had the, the intellectual ability to be competitive in the classroom, but it just at 14 and 15, they got to me and said, you know, why well, I don't have a father? And I just shut down my eighth grade year and I had to repeat it. So I, and I had, and, you know, I tell my, I used to tell my mother, I'm the only one of your kids that had 13 perfect attendance as opposed to 12. <laughs> And she said, looked at me, and she said, I told you. <laughs> but I was there every day that second year. Yeah, so you got something to brag on, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I made it through. <laughs> well, any closing thoughts or anything else you want to share? No, not really, because I, I could sit here and go on forever. But uh, the, the one thing I, I would, would share with your listeners is, just reach out to someone and help them where you can. And don't ever think that you can't do something because you can. It's just a matter of uh, getting someone through the next chapter of their lives. That's very powerful. This has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time with me today. And definitely stay in touch. Let's, let's do that. And I'm so happy that uh, I was able to do it and uh, uh, hear a little bit about what you thought about me. So that, that warms my heart as well. All right. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Constructive Curiosity. Constructive Curiosity is presented by SFC Consulting. For all your career coaching, project management, and leadership development needs, SFC Consulting has the insight to get it right. Visit sfcconsultingservices.com for more information.